Hello, dear friends. Today we will again talk with the esteemed Igor Mikhailovich Danilov. Greetings. Igor Mikhailovich, in the previous video we touched upon the topic of images, fantasizing and dreaming, and talked about the immense threat posed by creating an alternative reality in a person's head. In fact, it all actually starts with one little thought that a person suddenly believed and didn't control, and so it turns into such a big problem. And, you know, you finally understand those spiritual practitioners who said that a thought is like the rudder of a ship, because it actually sets the course of a person's life. And on top of that, sometimes it even has a very serious impact on the destiny of this entire big entity, this entire big machine. When you understand how much time, effort and attention a person spends on this process, you suddenly realize that this sphere of human life is somehow completely neglected. And that precisely this sphere needs control, discipline and some kind of order. There is also a very interesting point. If in modern society such daydreaming and reverie is somehow popularized, and at all times poets have praised and romanticized this daydreaming process, then if we talk about the spiritual experience in different religions, it is just the opposite. It is openly stated there that thoughts are enemies and that the devil's main weapon is certainly human imagination. And precisely in this field a person's struggle for his spiritual salvation actually takes place. You know, I would like to share one hadith about what corrupts the human soul the most. In Islam it is said very clearly that it is the sea of reverie, a sea that has no shores, where people who have gone astray, who have failed on the path to knowledge, are swimming. And what was really memorable to me is that reveries are surely the capital of sort of bankrupt, insolvent people. And this is really so, because people spend all their energy and all their resources, just as you once said precisely, on those very reveries. But it is also said that those daydreamers are the hope of shaitan, and there is such an understanding that shaitan sets very strong hopes on these people. It's not only hope, but also Shaitan's pillar. After all, in their reveries, as you said about the ship, people lose their course and simply begin to drift, and many of them lead caravans of likewise deluded people. It's not just hope, but also Shaitan's pillar. It is very scary to realize that you can live up to shaitan's expectations. Shaitan sets very high hopes on such people who indulge in these fantasies, reveries and the game of imagination. In fact, the most interesting thing is that it is mentioned that he just plays with you like a dog with a carrion. Of course. So there is this understanding that you are kind of not a hero in all that, but a toy. You see, human pridefulness elevates a person to the level of shaitan, the devil himself or to the level of God Himself. That's how our consciousness elevates us. While in fact, friends, if we compare a person who has gone astray or has become lost in this ocean, he is really like a carrion in the teeth of Shaitan. He is no one.
Why? Well, you know, yes, it's a blow to our pridefulness, I agree. He is pitiful. Yes, but who is a human in fact? No one. Now, if we move away from our pridefulness and look at ourselves from a side, let's use our tool, our consciousness. Now, we are talking about imagination and daydreaming. Let's apply our imagination. Imagine, on a scale, this is our consciousness, after all. It likes to scale everything, compare it, weigh it, estimate, and measure it. So let's imagine, in relation to our planet, a human being is negligible. In relation to the solar system, he is nothing at all. And it's simply impossible to compare him to the universe. There is nothing to compare. And what is shaitan? Shaitan is omnipresent in the universe. This is his home. There are billions and billions of similar planets with countless human-like beings. Well, it's not proven from a scientific point of view, from a scientific and religious point of view. We are alone in the universe. How many of us are there? Almost eight billion. And such a huge, tremendous world was created for us alone. This is the pinnacle of selfishness. What's really interesting is that shaitan does not forget about tempting us even for a second, even for a moment. At this point, it's time to think of where we are every minute and check, you know, where am I? With whom am I right now, at this moment? Because he doesn't stop even for a second to… Of course, neither in sleep nor in reality. Again, speaking their language, that very shaitan also seduces people during sleep, when we have dreams. What kind of dreams do we have? That's where it all starts. Dreams are always problematic. There is always some kind of fuss, problems, or something else. That is, we are bombarded with problems, not only in everyday life, but also during rest, meaning awakening or falling asleep. During these phases, when we have dreams, because dreams are real for personality, we do not perceive them critically. It means we finance all these fairy tales. And doesn't Shaitan load us with these fairy tales during the day? He does. My friends, we are constantly in daydreaming or in thoughts. We argue with someone, prove something to someone, and so on. Sheer images, images and images. That's why it was mentioned. Also, Igor Mikhailovich, our participants have shared the following point. On the one hand, you understand that you have a certain system of values, but you face a situation that, in your consciousness, you suddenly hear thoughts which run counter to this system of values, mean thoughts, sometimes very immoral thoughts, when you may wish evil to a close person who is dear to you and so on. These thoughts horrify the very person who hears them. And here is such a point. Is it already seen or not to hear these thoughts? So, my friends, these questions are from real practitioners, from those who indeed follow the spiritual path. Firstly, they notice these thoughts, and secondly, they voice them. Everyone else is a liar. They live in these thoughts, but keep silent about them. Why? Well, it's like, I'm so good, but my thoughts are very bad. Isn't that true? And just to make it clear, all of us, those who have consciousness, especially secondary consciousness, all of us, 
are bogged down in this sin. So, is it a sin or not? If we accept this, yes, it's a sin. If we indulge in these thoughts, it's a sin. Why? You and I already talked about this, and we will talk about it again many, many times. That personality does not distinguish whether it happens in thoughts or in real life, my friends. When in our mind we create pictures in which we experience something, when we think, when we contemplate, when we plan to kill even a friend or a near and dear person, and how many of us have experienced in our fantasies how we killed or poisoned someone and so forth, or even worse, when we become almighty like El, up to taking a nuclear bomb and dropping it on everyone. And such thoughts come to almost everyone's mind. This is really so. Isn't it a sin? It is. Why? I will answer simply and clearly. When we allow such thoughts, Shaitan rules over us. Serving Shaitan and being under his power is a mortal sin, friends. Why? Because when you are under Satan's power, you have no chance to survive. In order to survive, you must free yourself from him. You must serve the Lord God and be inseparable with him. Then there will be life. But when you are, excuse me, a puppet in Satan's hands, what kind of an angel are you? Isn't that so? Everything is very simple. Thoughts are a really horrible thing. But on the other hand, when a person isn't separated from them, it is hard for him to understand that. It's true. When I talk to people, they say, how's that? It's my thoughts. It's me. I am thinking it's my ideas, of course. My ideas, all that, right. Of course. And they allow such thoughts, you know? Well, they believe that no one hears their thoughts. No one knows about them. Forgetting or not knowing that everywhere and anywhere, everything is the same for everyone. Situations are different. Maybe some colors and pictures are different, but the essence is the same. That's how Shaitan plays with people. He endows them, I don't know, with an image of a holy or humble man who is good and righteous before others, while inside his consciousness creates such storms that any ships sink. Isn't that so? Of course, a person always dreams vicariously. He doesn't share his, these thoughts with other people. He does it secretly. And that's where it is time to ponder what this secret action is and whether it's a good thing. Well, to be honest, the spiritual path, friends, is first and foremost honesty to oneself. If you speak honestly and confess all of that, it makes your hair stand on end, because there is L in each of us. There is a maniac killer in each of us. There is a traitor to God and a slave to Satan in each of us. It's true. After all, people are just embarrassed and afraid to say this. Now, a lot of people will be outraged, especially if they are together with someone, and say, no, I don't have this kind of thoughts. What are they telling us? We are telling the truth, my friends, the real truth about you, about your consciousness, how it works, how it manipulates you, and how you lie to others that you don't have this, you have. Just recall. Recall how you wished death to your family members and friends. Or did it not happen? How you elevated yourself in your thoughts. And that's where the biggest phenomenon lies. You merely paid for those pictures. It wasn't you. 
who thought and imagined. It was done instead of you. You were simply served a ready-made sin, which you bought at the cost of your own life, my friend. And this is true. But only a person who has really embarked on the spiritual path and who really strives for God can understand it, who doesn't just draw an image or pretend to be kind of spiritual or go to some organization, I don't know, sort of to serve God, while in fact he remains a slave, a real slave of Satan. There are a lot of such people. And there is a simple question here. If a person, being a slave of Satan, goes to a religious organization, what will happen? He will increase this. He will create around him caravans of the same misguided ships and drift in the boundless sea without ever reaching a shore. Isn't that so? It is so, friends. This is the truth, the truth of life. For life, for real life, you should fight, and you should fight on your own. You cannot gain life through some rituals, attributes, or images painted from yourself, whatever. Life must be truly earned. And most importantly, you should stop being a slave of Satan. What does it mean to stop being a slave of Satan? It means to be critical towards your consciousness and to begin to explore yourself. Who palms off these pictures on you when you don't order them? Who in you hates your loved ones, those whom you supposedly love and appreciate very much, and you are immediately ready to crush them? At that very moment, you start thinking, what will happen if he or she drops dead or is hit by a car or something else, wishing it would happen this or another way, because there's a swarm of thoughts in the head. And they're always kind of not very… towards negativity. Yes, not very good, to be honest. Given the negativity of consciousness, yes. Our consciousness is negative. It always steers a wrong course, not the one it is supposed to steer. To the reefs. And here, again, but it immediately says, don't tell anyone about this. If anyone finds out about your thoughts, how will you look, right? Such a good person suddenly turns out to be such a maniac. Well, it is really so. Igor Mikhailovich, is it possible for these thoughts not to come at all? People say, is it possible for thoughts not to come? How can I make them not come? So that they don't come, it is possible. For that, you should become alive. This is one way. Another way is to go deep into sleep, let's say, to disconnect. Phase. But in this case, you won't see anything either. Yes, phases are disconnected. And there is one more way, to immerse into a deep spiritual practice. There are no thoughts there either. Well, that's all, I guess, right? Right, because, you know, in all… If you become a subpersonality, then, excuse me, all day long, you will hear this all the time, but you'll be aware that you are a personality. In the state of subpersonality, a person clearly understands where he is and what consciousness is, both primary and secondary ones, and he understands what legion is, because there is a legion of these, so to say, selves in secondary consciousness. It actually presents itself as anyone and in any possible way. As for primary consciousness, it has its own self, which we often perceive as I. We often use primary consciousness as an observer, right? 
when we try to observe, especially the initial practices. The most interesting thing, friends, is the first steps on the spiritual path. That's true. It is something priceless and genuine. Well, if a person is determined, if he is serious, if he doesn't play around, now I want one thing tomorrow, I want something else. It is Shaitan playing soccer with him. It's a ball, not a human in this case. Whereas if a person is really determined to come to God, he feels, he strives, and he understands that he's a human being. The first steps are the most exciting and the most shocking. When a person begins to realize and understand during the practices that he cannot hold a single thought, that he doesn't generate a single thought, that it is all manipulated and comes by someone else's will, not by his, and that he can observe. The funny thing is that even using primary consciousness and observing secondary consciousness, a person simply falls into shock. A lot of people, not everyone, there are those who don't understand. But again, there are four types of us. Some are capable of more, some of less. Well, Igor Mikhailovich, also, in the religious experience, it is basically described that there are sort of stages for the formation of a scene, so to speak, and it begins, there are different names for these stages, but it begins with provocation, then there is coupling, consent, and captivity by thought. But the essence is that you basically cannot influence the coming of these thoughts to you in any way. I mean, this provocation, you are always offered either some images from the past or it's just pictures that are thrown in. Again, let's analyze provocation. What is provocation? Provocation is when we have already come in contact with a thought, right? When an emotion ignites in us already. And that's where events begin to unfold, right? I mean, you are just sitting peacefully and suddenly you recall someone or some occasion that happened, God knows when. That's what provocation is, right? Something is offered to you, right? Sure. Yes, a hook, a bait. Yes, a bait. Just like a fish, you swim up, there's a bait. You grab it, and then it already… Unfolds. Absolutely right. As soon as you have tasted it, people say, are there any methods to not get hooked? Of course there are. There are practices, there are special spiritual practices. Well, I would put it differently, meditative and spiritual practices. For example, that very Chetverik, right? Or the pyramid, they are described in the book Alatra. These are the most ancient practices that people used God knows when and for many millennia. They've been helping a lot of people. Again, who needs these practices? They are necessary for those who are really in service, who are standing guard on that side, on the invisible side. A person doesn't just take upon himself, so to say, the obligation to serve God and refuse to serve Satan, not in words, but in deeds. He is not only engaged in saving himself as personality, in evolving or, let's say, transitioning from a slave of Satan to the rank of an angel. He fights not only for his own freedom, but for the lives of other people too. When he has taken on such a burden, he needs proper tools. And these tools are needed exactly to counteract any influence from the outside, including thoughts because our thoughts are the most terrible. And, perhaps, the only tool that Shaitan uses to manipulate us. So, what do those practices give you? For example, that very Chetverdik, right? Friends, those who know, they know. While I'll explain for those who do not know, we begin to register our thoughts. I mean, our, in quotation marks. You understand it, right? We begin to perceive them when they are already implemented in us. But a thought is actually the same radio wave that should come to our consciousness 
unfold, manifest itself, and assume an image. We perceive it only when it is ready, don't we? But it is already when, excuse me, we have financed it with our attention. Yet, is there any way to, let's say, play safe and not to accept and not to finance it when it is only approaching? There is a way. Precisely, these practices, such as the pyramid and the so-called Chetverik, perform these functions. The Chetverik is called so because it works for four sides. Well, anyone who's interested will read and find out about it. What does it give you? Let's imagine, in absolute darkness, you're walking alone on a road, and you see a headlight of a car. You don't hear it, but you see the headlight. What will you do? You will go to the side of the road, and the car will pass by, right? I mean… You'll be careful about that. Right. That very headlight gives you a signal of approaching trouble. So, thanks to these practices, we, as Personality, already learn to perceive this light, meaning the approach of a thought itself, and not even let it come to us, just not let it in, not to react to it, not to finance it, and so on. Yet what happens in our everyday life? Until, excuse me, a car hits us with its bumper, we do not react, right? Well, that's already an injury. Yes, a direct collision. People are already in captivity at once. A direct collision, of course. You are right. When a thought has come, it's the same as a car has already hit us you know, a moving car. It all depends on what speed and what kind of thought comes. Because sometimes there are thoughts that depress us so much. For instance, we had a great mood, a surge, everything was good and worked out. A thought comes in that hooks us, and that's it. We already lose our mood and lose interest in some activity. Why? It is merely a thought. The question is, who palmed it off? What kind of, I don't know, a masochist one should be to exchange a good mood for a bad one, right? Right. To immediately enter into a debate with an image in one's head, as they say. Oh, yes, exactly. To argue and prove something to it. Just now, my friend, you felt good and wonderful. You had birds singing inside. You had a lot of plans. And then you suddenly recall that you are a fool. You see? Literally. Oh, people compete with an illusion. Once they saw some kind of an image and will never meet that person again. Sometimes they didn't see and him. And they don't know who he is. Right. But they compete with that image in their mind. They compete. Who hasn't experienced all that? You need to go somewhere. You haven't seen that person, but you already talked to him and proved something to him. You enter into an argument. In the end, you are already a hero. You have won. And all are winners at that. Well, these are games, games of consciousness. Sometimes consciousness instills such dialogues in one's mind, but in reality, everything happens in a different way. The question is, what for? Also, Igor Mikhailovich, sometimes people realize that a thought is very intrusive and that it actually leads to some oppressive states. And here is such a point, how to get rid of this thought. Because people come across the fact that the more you want to get rid of something, or the more you want a situation not to repeat in your life, the more often it repeats, as if sort of by Murphy's law. Of course. After all, the more we struggle, the more we put our attention into this very image, the thought that we want to get rid of. But it is actually us surrendering into captivity to Shaitan. Isn't that so? How many experiments were conducted, and how much it was described from the standpoint of psychology? And the great people often described that. I mean, people like Omar Khayyam and many others, they used these techniques, but they understood and knew why. That the more we try to get rid of something, or rather, not to think about something, yes, exactly. we definitely think about it because we apply effort. 
Since we apply effort, it means we invest our own attention. If we invest our own attention, that means we pay for that. While consciousness needs solely our attention, it doesn't react to anything else, it's all nonsense. All these pictures, all this, you know, it's just an advertisement to attract us, to hold us, to take as much attention from us as possible. Meanwhile, attention is our life. That's how it happens. For example, regarding that very white bear, right? Yes, it's a very interesting point, because indeed, you were just talking about the research and that very Wagner effect, right? The most interesting thing is that he couldn't believe that consciousness doesn't participate in suppressing thoughts in any way. And he still wanted to check how it is possible, to check how to suppress these thoughts. So he… With the help of consciousness. Yes. To suppress consciousness, to defeat the enemy with the help of the enemy. Right. Isn't that so? He didn't believe, but he checked But he checked and became convinced. But he checked and became convinced. Why? He was simply a curious person. You and I once discussed it, and I said, even for atheists, isn't it interesting? Not even from a scientific standpoint, but from the perspective of self-development. To observe yourself and how your consciousness works, my friend, this is really simple. You sit down, relax, and observe. Thoughts come to you, and for example, you try not to think of a white bear, not to imagine its black nose, its paws, and how it is running somewhere in the snow. What do you need a bear for? You're not a seal, aren't you? Just a few minutes ago, you didn't have a white bear in your head. Now, Tatiana and I have settled it in your mind. Now, don't think about it. And most importantly, don't think about the lame jolly monkey that is eating bananas and playing around. Don't even dare think about this couple. <laughs> this contagion is so easily conveyed. For sure. You see, worse than any virus. As for an image, an image is a finished object. What does an object have? A volume and a shape. And in order for an object to live in your head, you have to spend the power of your attention on it. Do you understand? That's how we infect each other with all sorts of stupidity and nastiness instead of sharing love, joy, and happiness. No, we share various white bears, lame jolly monkeys, and whatnot. And the most terrible thing is when we share rumors, scary rumors. Gossip. Right. And we convey it all with emotion. In this case already, you know, when it is conveyed with emotion, when it hooks a person, here, the system feeds not just on our attention, a lot, but on prana as well. Thus, we as if give away both gold and silver, you see? And how often do we do that? Well, it is incessant communication. Some people will say, so, how should we communicate? Communicate normally as humans, as humans should communicate. Share what is good and do not pass on what is bad, unless it concerns a specific person and affects his security or income. Why convey bad thoughts? Why convey bad images? Why fill this world with stupidity, so to say? Why encourage a person to waste his own life on empty images in his head? Isn't that a sin? Don't we kill each other this way? We do, all the time. And who forces us to do that? Has anyone thought about that? When we impose our ideas that we are bogged down in, you know, if we take images and attention in general, we might play up to such a point that a lot of people will take offense at us if we tell the truth. For sure, because the truth is very harsh. Let me give you a simple example. 
of how the system has added it all to its armory. It forces us to be divided, because the main point in the system is to divide, to rule and to control. These are actually the patterns which exist and which we apply in our everyday life and extensively use for manipulating each other. Again, let's take, I don't know, some sports competitions. The system simply forces us to support one or another team and divides us already, doesn't it? It brings it down to fanaticism. Somewhere, God knows where, in another country, some competition takes place. A group of people have gathered who run after one ball. Well, let's look at it in a sensible, you know, sort of optimistic way. Let's just look at it reasonably. How does it affect you, my friend? In no way. How is it supposed to bother you? In no way. People do sports. That's clear. It's good for one's body, right? However, this has been elevated to a cult. A huge number of people have been drawn into that cult, including many of us, friends. And we already understand, here's our team, we should support it, we should worry about it. We spend our time, our energy, and many people spend their money to go somewhere, buy tickets and buy memorabilia. Moreover, many people are dragged into arguments, scandals, worries, and emotions in support of their team. I have a question for you. What kind of your team is it? Are you the owner of this club? Is it your personal team that brings you profit? Or what? Why is it your team? Or do you participate in it? I mean, no. But a thought is imposed on everyone that you are involved. Yes that you are a participant. Some people are even driven to the point of bloodshed. They defend their teams in arguments and fights, especially fan groups and the like. Thus, they defend the superiority of their own team over others. Guys, as a matter of fact, one team should prove superiority in its skills. For example, on that very field, when they play a ball, right? Right. Also, no one should really care in any way whether they win or lose, except those who play. It's like a little competitive process, but it has been elevated to a cult. Leaf through history and look at when and how it all came into our lives, so to say, and how manipulatively it was all imposed on us. We were forced to believe in it in the past. It used to be more brutal. Well, everyone remembers history, how people were killed. There were gladiatorial fights and many other things. What for? In order to provoke a very intense emotion in us, so that we invest our attention, right? I mean, to excite us. But what for? Why? What's the point? If we look at it, nowadays it's understandable, they make money. In the past as well, a very small group of people made money on that. Yet, why were everyone else drawn there? A spectacle, bread and circuses. And who invented that? Who imposed it all on our heads? You see? I mean, who imposed all this on us? Who put it into our heads and forced us, let's say, to accept and to believe? Not just to accept and to believe, but also to live by it, you know? This is true. Nowadays, don't we have gladiatorial fights? Pardon me, there's boxing, ultimate fighting, and everything else. I'm not judging anyone, friends. That's not the point. The point is how our consciousness works, how we 
observing ourselves, devise various schemes of how to manipulate the crowd. After all, there is nothing new. We take everything from our consciousness. What is the art of marketing? It is actually an observation of our consciousness, how it works, what we pay attention to, how to manipulate other people. Why? Because it is stereotypical. Just look, the same techniques are all over the world, and they work. All over the world, we are divided into religions, into, let's say, fans of one or another team. We are divided into fashion. We are divided into everything and forced to compete by proving to someone that ours is better. You see, even if our athletes lose, we are better, we are stronger anyway, because it is our team. Well, that's nonsense. Is it really ours? If we look at it sensibly, like adults, without any foolishness, we shouldn't care about it in any way, you see? But we care, don't we? That's the entire phenomenon. You've said it right, that there is fractality in that. It is actually the same if we talk about thoughts. Yes. When, as we already said, people believe that it is their idea or their thought, they defend them. After all, the first rule and the most important thing to do in order to defeat sin is to understand that this thought does not belong to you, that it originates from the devil, from shaitan. So the main task is to detach oneself from that thought. Also, there is another interesting point, and I would like to touch upon it. When a person feels a great sense of guilt about something that happened to him, and the more he doesn't want that situation to recur, the more it recurs. Once you said that secondary consciousness is the main critic in our head, that it is always tuned either to make a person engage in self-reproach or it necessarily criticizes somebody else. And this sense of guilt is also kind of a huge manipulative mechanism of the system. Of course. Most likely, if we talk to our neighbor so as to evoke an enormous sense of guilt in him, or we engage in self-reproach, it turns out that we increase the probability for this situation to happen again and again. Definitely. And you know, Wagner said that there are simultaneously two mechanisms in the mind of why it arises like that, why a person falls into these states and why this thought aggravates. And returns. And returns to him. There is simultaneously a conscious control so as not to do that, not to do that. At the same time, there is monitoring too. Thus, a thought is permanently retained and a person monitors whether an action is being done at the moment or not, whether he is thinking or not. I'll try to explain. Yes, I'll try to explain, friends. For instance, you catch yourself at a bad thought, you are fed up with it, it irritates you, and you understand that it's a wrong, sinful thought or you feel ashamed of this thought inside yourself. And so you try to get rid of it. You think about anything, and you try to do anything, just not to think about it. But you still think about it, since you are trying to fight it, isn't it so? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there is another method. The same fellow suggested it. So as not to think about it, you should force yourself to postpone this thought for later. Right, let's think about it, for example, next week. Yes. Does this tool work? Of course, it works. It is very advantageous for the system, for our consciousness, as a part of the whole system. 
It is very advantageous, because we will think about it all week long. We will certainly recall it, and definitely come back to it, you know? It's like anchoring, all this in your own consciousness. It's the same as setting an alarm clock, which will remind you that, on such and such day, at such and such time, you should recall it. Will you forget about it? No. You will remember it all week long and will definitely recall it. However, once you maintain this habit, you will remember that thought during subsequent weeks as well. And in any situation that reminds you, let's say, of this event, you will still recall it. Thus it turns out that you get accustomed to it and pay for the existence of some illusion in your own head. You pay for it with your own life. And just look, friends, we have now analyzed literally a little bit. But this little bit makes up our entire life. How much time we spend, how much of our attention we spend, really spend on illusions in our heads, on thoughts that have nothing to do with our real life, even in this three-dimensionality. How much energy and emotion we spend on worrying about empty things, don't we? Which have actually nothing to do with us and do not affect our lives in any way. A simple question. If you are not a bookmaker, if you do not own a soccer team and do not sell soccer memorabilia, how can those worries about whether the team has won or not influence you? In no way. Will that bring you profit? No. Your mood? Well, it can affect your mood if you are already involved in this process. It can give you a false illusion that everything is fine. We have won. We have won. Friend of mine, what does it have to do with you? Just the fact that you were sitting somewhere and feeding someone with God knows what, with your own life. You are involved in this simply by compulsion, not at your own will. And what do you have to do with it, in fact? What did you get of it? Nothing. Except that you financed God knows whom and God knows why. Isn't that so? Is it manipulation? It is. How much time and energy did you spend? Yet, if we take the spiritual aspect, were you thinking about God at that time? Did you feel Him? Were you with Him? No. And who were you with? You weren't even with the devil. You were under His heel. He was doing to you what He wanted. This is exactly what I said. He was playing with the carrion like jackals do. Why? Because that's how consciousness manipulates us. It foists a thought and begets a desire. It manipulates us the way it wants and thus takes away our lives. We waste so much effort, time and life on that. Is it worth pondering over? It is. In such conditions of slavery, and I would say, not even slavery, you know, it is hopelessness. In this hopelessness, can you gain freedom and life? You can, if you want to. That's the right thing to do. A human must not be a slave of Satan. He mustn't be anyone's slave at all. Then it is right. A human must be free. Tell me, is an angel anyone's slave? No. It's a free unit of the infinite world. That's exactly how we should learn. We should learn to rid ourselves. We should learn let's say, to be human beings and not slaves. Everything is very simple. There is something to think about. Again, 
All this has been well studied scientifically. You see, it's not just somebody's fantasy. It wasn't invented by me and Tatiana. We simply talk about the facts that have been known for a long time and just call things by their proper names. Meanwhile, this is what you, friends, live by every day, don't you? Unfortunately, you do. Therefore, the simplest thing, say, what a person should start with. Friends, you know, you should start with love. Love overcomes everything. Let's just start loving each other and stop being a carrion in someone's rotten teeth. Right? That's right. Thank you, friends, for being with us. Thank you. Let's just love each other.